Welcome back to the eighth episode of A Skier's Podcast and the first one in English. This time I'm talking to Jackie Peso, a freeride skier and also a inspiring human being. It's been a while since I recorded this episode and it's actually recorded in two parts. And we recorded in the end of the summer of 2017 and also during the fall of 2017. But it's really interesting and she has a lot of important stuff to say. So even though it's a bit old, I think it's really important to listen and hear what she says and also just to hear about Jackie's story about becoming a skier because she's inspiring and she is a great skier. I love seeing her sending it on the Freeride World Tour. First I was there in the end of the summer interviewing her about how she became a skier, why she loves it, and all the projects she's doing. But then uh, Powder Magazine published an interview where Jackie talked about her depression. And so I asked her if I could come back. And then I came back and we talked about that as well. So first you will have a first part where we talk about how she became a skier and all of that. And then there is the second part where we talk about Jackie's depression. So I think it's a very important subject to talk about and I hope you will enjoy it might be the wrong word but I hope you might learn something and with that said let's get started. And for those who doesn't know you who who are you? So yeah so I'm Jackie Peso and I'm a professional free skier. I'm originally from the US. Uh lived in Lake Tahoe, started free skiing at Squaw Valley, um, was there for oh, 10 years. And then I met Verena Barkred, who's a Swedish free rider, free skier, and met him, got together with him, and <laughs> now I'm here living in Åre and still free riding and competing on the Freeride World Tour and oh, doing lots of ski-related stuff and biking in the summer and that sounds good. But how did you end up skiing at the first place? Were your parents skiers or no? Um, my so my whole family started at the same time. Uh, I was four, so I was quite young yeah. when my parents discovered it. Um, but my dad was yeah forty four when he started. He was a professional American football player back in the day, uh, so he was always into sports. But skiing and mountain biking and all these other like extreme sports were new to him so he had I think a family a friend or whatever who introduced him and so we started yeah doing ski vacations we were living in Massachusetts and we were weekend warriors till I was maybe 12 or 13 and then um we actually ended up moving to Maine where we were traveling so I, I grew up skiing mostly this resort called Sunday River so it's uh, it's one of the biggest resorts in the northeast um it's really wide <laughs> it's like this connection of mountains it's not super high elevation or anything like that but but it's mostly pieced um if you want to go off piece they've like cut down some trees and made like oh, glades nice. and stuff so yeah a little bit different from there's not they actually have a free ride tour in the east coast um they have to get a little bit creative uh it's i think new maybe five years or so so it wasn't around when i was doing it 
I was a mogul skier first, so which was perfect growing up in the East Coast. You're either a racer or a mogul skier if you're coming from my generation. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe now it's racing or park skiing. But how did you end up then going into free skiing or free ride? Um, so I did freestyle moguls mostly till I was, I think, 20, 21, in around there. And I had uh, some good success, but... I had an injury, um, mm -hmm. just a ankle injury that kind of plagued me. So I took a year off, and when I decided to come back, I uh, I just wasn't into it. Like I, yeah. it it wasn't fun anymore. And to go, you know, I wanted to go to the Olympics and stuff like that, and it just wasn't gonna happen with the mentality I had. So I tried some park skiing, and I did a little bit of that, but. Um, I, it was just a little boring. Like, I wanted to see more of the mountain. I didn't want to just loop the same park trail over and yeah. over and over again. So I didn't really get into that. And then when I moved out to California, um, I started kind of as, like, a mogul coach. And there the mogul teams have free ride, too. And uh, so at Alpine Meadows first. And kind of... I didn't have mogul... Or, I didn't have powder skis or mm -hmm. I'd never jumped off a cliff or anything like that. It was totally new. So I started like learning a little bit about it, but I hated powder. <laughs> I hated powder in the beginning because I had like the oh, wrong yeah. skis. Oh, they yeah. were short, skinny little mogul <laughs> skis. And I was just like, oh, this is so hard. And looking back, it's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I remember my first cliff, like, one of my friends tried, had to, like, talk me into it for maybe a half an hour. We stood, and it was probably, like, three meters high. <laughs> and then some people came by, and it was like, oh, okay, fine, I just do it. And, it, yeah, so it was a kind of a sad start, yeah. and then it just went up. Like, once I kind of got it in my mind how it worked. And got new skis? Um... No, I did. I did one contest in two thousand six at um, Kirkwood, and I just like got in super last minute. Borrowed a friend skis, like they had old Fritchie touring bindings on them, and they were one of the first like Rosignol fat skis. I don't remember what they're called. So I borrowed his skis, and it went really well. I think I was like, third going into the super finals because I had qualifying, finals, super. And then I crashed um, in the finals. So I... But it was like, oh, well, that was still fun, you know. Yeah. Like, was kind of learning how it worked and everything. And I was... The plan was the next year to do, like, a whole... All the contests or, <clears throat> excuse me, as many as I could. And then I broke my back a little oh. bit snowboarding <laughs> oh shit yeah. just a little bit <laughs> yeah, just, but it was really it was like the they call them the transverse process like the little nubs on the vertebrae oh, okay. i just like cracked a few yeah. of those i was snowboarding in the park it was, oh i must have heard though um it it was not as bad as it sounds okay. i think like when you hear like oh broke my back but it was more one of those things like i remember it happened i slipped out and 
I was just stuck on my knees. I was like, I don't know, something's not quite right. <laughs> oh. But then after two weeks of being kind of laid up, yeah, it was okay. But I thought like, oh, okay, maybe maybe no competition this year. <laughs> um, and I actually I almost moved back east because I was a little bit like um, lost and not really satisfied with how things were in Tahoe and I was like oh maybe I want to get into mountaineering because mm. I always had an interest in that yeah. and I don't know I could do it better in Tahoe than I could back east but I just knew some people and I thought oh maybe it'd be good to like hang out with them and learn and I had two friends that were like no you're coming back to Tahoe yeah one of my friends uh, her name is Iris Lazareski she's a professional snowboarder she's like you're living with me and my family <laughs> so I her dad let us, let me stay with her for the winter so we shared a room and another friend he's um Sean Hartel who's an old park skier I think he's living in Florida now or sailing <laughs> and stuff he was like no I'm setting you up with my friends there were the guys from moment skis um so he like got me in contact with them and we went on this little ski trip together, and I said, okay, I move out. And we went skiing, and they were letting me use some demo skis, so I still didn't have my own skis at no. the time. And they were like, we'll help you We'll help you enter the contest. Like, we'll help you with your competition fees and wow. stuff. That's yeah, great. Yeah, it was really great. And the first contest, I still didn't have my own, my own <laughs> skis. I still had demo skis, um, which was such a kind of a bummer because it was another one of those three-day contests and I was after the first two runs I was in first place I was like oh this is cool and then the last run I did everything landed my big feature and then made like two turns and just walked out of my double binding (laughs) (laughs) so I still I still managed to get like fourth place or whatever because I didn't crash I just like walked out I was like no shit um but yeah (laughs) yeah not not the ending you want no but still like that feeling like okay there's something here like I may be good at this so it was um I yeah so I was like I'm gonna do more and then I got you know rail skis with mounted bind like proper (laughs) bindings and stuff after that so it was really yeah because of Iris and Sean that they like kind of pushed like come back out and try this and so that was 2008 and it was like my first full season of doing like free ride competition it was on the the u.s free skiing tour so i did that season um which is so like learning how to jump cliffs and all that stuff it was pretty new to me but i just like knew what I could do for mogul skiing and was like, oh, just, yeah, see how it goes. <laughs> so there was some learning experiences for yeah. sure. It sounds like you had great friends as well. Yeah, they're they're really great people. So so nice to have people that maybe they see something that you don't see, so they're like, no, you have to do this. Yeah. So it was definitely thanks to, thanks to those guys that I'm yeah. doing it still. So you did that season, and yeah. when did you get into the world tour? Um, I so in two thousand nine, I had kind of heard about the world tour. Yeah. I didn't 
know that much about it, but I knew they were coming to Squaw. Um, and back then they didn't really have a qualifying series in the U.S., so a lot of the U.S. skiers were getting wild cards. So I had asked um, if I could get a wild card to Squaw, and they gave me one, so that was great. Um, but then I kind of got lost in the run. <laughs> it was oh, my first oh, time yeah. with visual inspection. Um, so, yeah, the, I, I don't know. I think I was in sixth place or something. And it was not enough to get another wild card, at least. I didn't, like, wow them. <laughs> so <laughs> so I had kind of, kind of given up, like, well, that was that. Like, yeah. I probably can't ask again. And then it was in 2010 when... Uh, I was rounding up the chairlift with my friend JT Holmes, who he had been doing some of the competitions, and he was asking me like, "What are you? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna do the Freeride World Tour this year?" And I was like, "No, I don't think I'm gonna get in." He's like, "Well, well, I can ask for you." I was like, "Yeah, sure, if yeah. you want." Like, that was great. And then the next day, I get an email like, "Oh, you can come to Chamonix." Wow. Like, that fast. Like, definitely helps sometimes to yeah. know the right people. Yeah. Um, so, again, a friend helping me out. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> which is great. And I went to Chamonix. It was my first time competing. It was my first time in Chamonix. It was my first time, yeah, competing in the Alps or anything yeah. like that. For I had been to, like the little alps um for mogul <laughs> contests back in the day um so that was a little intimidating but the worst part was i lost my boot buckle on the hike up so i was just like in the start gate like okay well we're just gonna go and see how far i make it and i think it was one of the more crucial belt buckles maybe this wasn't a good idea i'm like i'll just undo the other one on the other boot oh, so it feels the same even. yeah <laughs> um so sure enough i like went off this little thing and just crashed and then we had uh it was like a kind of half qualifying half world tour competition for the women in Fieberbun I went there and I think I got like fifth or something and then the tour came back to California to Tahoe for the tram face mm. and everybody like all of my friends like Janina Kusma and on the in the road they were staying at my house but I was not in the contest. I was like, that was like the last of your wild cards. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's that's a bummer. Janina Kuzma, again, another friend helping me out. She's yeah. like, no, this is, that's not right. You need to give her a wild card. So we were asking the organizer and uh, I was pretty shy. I hate asking for stuff like that. So I was just, they're like, you have to do it. You have to ask them. So it's like, would it be possible if I got a wild card for this competition? And he's like, nah, I don't know. Because I think they're already giving, like, Ingrid Backstrom had the, the local wild card because it's Ingrid Backstrom. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, no, we don't need another. And Elise Sogstead was also there. So they had two squaw girls already. Yeah. And Janine's like, you have to keep, keep asking him, keep and, yeah. like, pushing. And um, so eventually and this is the night before the contest he's like okay you can have a wild card okay oh, yeah. and none of my <laughs> friends like that were you know like from squat no one really knew so I remember the morning of the contest somebody's like oh next year Jackie next year you get to I'm like no I'm in I get to do it oh that's awesome um 
So I still remember because I won that contest. You did? Yeah. And it was like one of my best contest runs. And I still remember when they were doing the awards and Nicholas Hellwoods, who's the organizer, he like whispered in my ear. He's like, that was a good wild card. Yes. I was like, (laughs) And then I've just stayed on the tour since. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah, a little bit of luck, uh, some friends that saw something, and yeah. Well, so what is it that keeps you wanting to compete? Like, to just not do projects and just go, like, and do your own thing? Um, It's a mix. Like, actually, I am doing a project. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing both, and it's <laughs> it's kind of hard. Yeah. Um, we discovered... I'm. I'm doing a project with Ava Walkner. Um so we have this film project that we've been working on in between. Uh it's called Evolution of Dreams and she came from this alpine background and she was you know on the Austrian national team and then me with my mogul skiing background and it's kind of about how yeah how we got from there to free riding and then we both really have this interest in discovering like more of skiing so ski mountaineering and not necessarily crazy steep skiing although that I guess depends on everyone's definition (laughs) but um yeah we have this interest in kind of exploring that part of skiing too so it's so we have a a big project in mind that we hope to tackle by the end of next spring and lots of training to do (laughs) to get in shape for it And then trying to manage that in between the tour and everything. But, yeah, I think the reason why I was still competing, I mean, my husband is competing and he wants to do that forever. He is like yeah. loves it more than anyone. So <laughs> that's part of it because it's nice to be able to see him. Um, but, and then, yeah, the fact that I haven't won overall, that's still like, I won Verbier, I've won other contests, now I'd like to win the overall. So that's part of the motivation. And I think it makes my skiing better too. So it's good to have that to kind of push you um, in a different way than filming does. And it's also a little bit scary, I think, to stop with competition because you don't know some sponsors like you to be a competition athlete, some like you to do something else. So if you're thinking about like the business side of things, we have so much exposure from the tour. And that, of course, is important to your sponsors. So there's that side, too, where I've seen some friends that have walked away from competition and maybe had a couple of years where it was a bit of a struggle to get the support they want. So that's also maybe that's not the case. If I have like some good projects and stuff, maybe I'm totally supported. But that's also something that's been in the back of my mind. Like, oh, if I if I quit, like is it going to be harder? But, I mean, I still like it, too. I hate it sometimes when it goes <laughs> bad, but I I still enjoy... It's still fun to win a contest and yeah. stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's not like I'm suffering through it or no. anything. Like, there's... Yeah, we'll see what happens after this winter. And maybe that'll be... It would be nice to take one year off, at least, and kind of just work on projects and have the time to 
kind of go where the snow is good and and maybe explore new areas which you can't it's a little you can do but it's a little bit harder when you have these contests that take up the majority of the winter but have you seen any changes in the free ride world tour since you've been doing it now for eight seasons um yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean so many it's kind of hard hard i mean it's like anything good and some bad and some hard times and uh i mean the you have like the skiing level it's kind of goes up and maybe some years it goes down a little bit and i think that's probably common in a lot of sports i think generally it's kind of going in upwards direction so that's good and then it's been hard the last couple of years when the tours combined with the u.s tour which is great to have it more of like a world tour feeling but then that made the cuts really severe yeah. so you know for the women's side it's like six women that are requalifying six or seven for the next year so that makes it really stressful it's kind of you never have that i mean even the world champions like nadine walner who's a great skier and she's won the tour twice she didn't requalify last year so you have yeah. like this crazy pressure throughout the whole season and i don't know if it's was maybe there in the beginning but i wasn't really thinking so much about it but it feels like yeah, all of us who have this like okay i need to have a good result and but this year i think we we don't have the cut right away because we had the cut after three events and so this year it goes back to having like four events before for verbier yeah. which that feels just nicer you kind of get this like big family and sometimes you don't get to meet everyone by the first three events and then it's like okay i'll see you later like so it's nice to have a little a little more room for like a bad contest before there wasn't really room for bad contest so there's yeah kind of always been stuff that's changing around and some years are harder than others and yeah do you think the fact that it was a cut after just three do you mm-hmm. think it affected how people like chose to ski yeah i think um i think it people were a bit safer with their skiing like even myself you're like okay i i don't really have that one event that i can just throw away so i need to really think and and maybe not go for the win but go for a safe result yeah so then that kind of takes the level down a little bit which is a little bit boring um so you have a bit of that and then when you're in that position where for the after the third cut like say you had two bad results and it's kind of like you have to win or you go you're home. going home then then maybe some of the athletes are maybe taking a little bit more risk than than they should i mean of course that can happen in any competition anywhere but it always just felt like there was just a little bit too much pressure i mean it's still just four contests now <laughs> it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't relieve it completely but hopefully that'll uh, maybe make for a better show at the end of the day where everyone has like at least that one that they can throw away and be able to relax a little bit more and ski the way they want to ski so we'll see hopefully (laughs) hopefully be good but what do you aim for in your like when you run is it Mm. to go big or do you want to have like a perfect line all the way or um i think in the beginning it was like yeah i found this one big cliff and i was like oh i want to see if that works and and do it and now i'm 
also want to ski quite strong to you know of course you always want to ski strong but I'd like to like I've never was a really fast skier because I was a mogul skier I wasn't an alpine racer so I'm capable of skiing faster but it's never really I'm just like cruising a bit more so I'd like to have a more complete run and I think I've been kind of playing it safe the last couple of years because I've been so worried about the title and I kind of realized in Verbia, even though I got hurt, um, I had much more fun taking um, a reasonable amount of risk uh, and going for something that I knew was going to make me feel better than, you know, having a first place, like my first place run in Andorra a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's great. It's nice to get first, but I wasn't really happy with the run. That's kind of boring to me. So I'd like to have a season where I feel like really good about all of the skiing and it's not just the result that you get at the end of the day but it's like what you actually did to get that result I think is more important to me so hopefully it works out (laughs) and what is the feeling why why do you want to keep on doing the runs what is the feeling you get um that I haven't had the perfect run like I always even some of my runs where I'm fairly happy with I always can find something that could be better so maybe it's never gonna happen where I have that (laughs) run where I'm like yes that was perfect because I I hear the same with Reina like he'll win Verbier and say oh but that wasn't my good run and you're just like (laughs) okay you're ridiculous but (laughs) but I have the same you know thinking with mine like oh, yeah, but that section, it was a little bit too slow or or I don't like how that looked. And I think that's what keeps, like, a lot of us that are still competing or, like, winning and stuff keep going is that they always feel you can do better, which is good and bad. <laughs> it's good because you're always pushing yourself, but it's bad because you never get that feeling of, like, oh, I'm satisfied. <laughs> I definitely think I got that from my dad. <laughs> <laughs> But like when you go just like uh, for fun with mm-hmm. friends and stuff, do you get do you get the same feeling as when you compete? Um, it depends. Yeah. Uh, there's some days where I don't have the feeling to do any cliffs and uh, or anything, and I just want to cruise and uh, I try not to let it bother me. And um, but sometimes I feel a little stressed, like oh, I should do this. But then there are days where you just feel great and you're like want to try stuff and everybody is trying stuff and or you're getting you're pushing your friend and I think those are the best days where yeah you like it's not like it's just competition so we're just gonna try something big in competition like it's fun to do it outside of competition and of course it's gonna go better in competition if you practice it so yeah. we still yeah like to go out and push ourselves and and see what we're capable of and it's always the best when you have a bunch of friends that are like kind of pushing each other and so those days are yeah some better than sometimes winning a competition that's good so besides going on a free world tour Mm. and then your mountain bike coach Mm. for inspire us uh, and you're doing the film project yes uh do you have any other projects yeah um so I have two other, maybe 
at least two. Um, <laughs> I have a safe ads, so it's a avalanche clinics yeah. that I started. I think this will be our sixth year. Um, I started it back in Squaw with uh, a few of my friends. So Elise Solstead, Michelle Parker, Ingrid Backstrom, and Sherry McConkie, and our awesome guide, Lil Tone. We started six years ago these, a few, we were doing yoga one morning yeah. and we were talking because Elise, I don't know if you've heard much about what happened to her, but she was in a big avalanche a few years back at Stevens Pass and she was the only survivor oh. out of the four that got yeah. caught. Um, so it was right after that incident and we were kind of thinking like, huh, okay, something something needs to happen. How can What can we do to kind of prevent this? And we thought providing, like, an environment where women especially feel comfortable and, and maybe if we have professional athletes where you get some people that, well, they just want to meet us, yeah. maybe more the others, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but they just want to meet and they're not so much thinking about, safety um but they're like oh this is interesting like a day with these girls let's let's see what it's all about but then they walk away re- realizing like oh this is really important yeah. um and then of course there are some that realize that it's important and realize that they need to learn so so we started that yeah six years ago and it was a it's a one-day clinic and it was also a fundraiser so we've raised over $25,000 to, like, local nonprofits. That's good. Um, so we've donated to, like, avalanche forecasters from, like, the different areas where we've gone. Um, High Fives, it's another nonprofit that's based out of Squaw Valley, Tahoe area. Um, they help us out, and we also donate to them. Okay. So, and we've given away, I don't know, maybe 30 full and non and partial scholarships to girls that can't afford to make oh, it. So great. we have all these yeah, options and crazy prizes from all of our yeah. sponsors. It's like the world's best raffle, I think. Oh, that is perfect. <laughs> it's like for, right before Christmas and yeah, Christmas shopping and stuff. And so we do that and we've had between like four and five stops now every season um, we added guys last year, so we had a co-ed stop, so it was cool. We mm. had, like, a family. Yeah. Oh, like, mother, daughter, son, father come, and lots of couples. Um, Cody's, or Cody, Cody Townsend, Elise's husband, he was our male guest coach, so that was cool. Um, so we'd be doing that again, and then this past year in Europe, I started Safe on Snow with Aline Bach and Ava Wachner. and. Gelly Kaufman, who's who is our guide, so we it's basically it's very similar to Safe As, um, just in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so we are yeah we're talking about what's gonna happen this December. We have maybe some different ideas, so we're gonna do some stuff down in Austria for sure. Yeah, need to bring something to Sweden. Yeah, I, was gonna say, yeah. I hope it's gonna be something new yeah. as well. Yeah, we've been. I've been talking with the Safe As girls about, like, bringing them in the spring for, like, yeah. a backcountry a- avalanche safety, like, workshop sometime. Um, that would be great. It's just hard because we all 
yeah. still focusing on our careers too. So the idea is that maybe when it slows down a little bit too, we'll have more time and we'll yeah. be able to offer more. Um, because I mean, even yeah, we had. It's like just it's great to do it all in December and and then we have to like go our separate yeah. ways. So. For a lot of us, it's been a great way to see each other. Yeah. Because we're always going in different <laughs> directions. So it's kind of like, oh, we get to see our friends and, yeah. and meet all these great ladies and, and guys now. And um, so that's been, yeah, that's been a big project of mine with those girls for the last years now. And trying to find new ways to kind of expand on that and um, different areas that, uh, need some help and need more awareness and stuff like that but it was pretty cool because or I don't know if cool is the right but it was a good like the number of fatalities in the U.S. dropped dramatically this past winter oh really um I think it's been like in the 20s and maybe the 30s last couple of years and it dropped like half Wow, that's which good. of course is still sad yeah, that there are. There's still too many, but, but it's moving in the yeah. right direction. Like people are, I think, starting to think a little bit more, and there's more resources, and so it's nice to yeah see it be a part going. of it. Yeah, yeah. But what do you think is the thing that makes people go and take the high risks that they take? Um, I think sometimes people just forget yeah like even if they've taken a course they you it's good snow and you just thinking you just want to go ski that line and nothing else really matters yeah um it's really hard especially when you're in a big group I mean mm. I even find myself sometimes feeling like I'm the boring person that's always saying no I don't like I have a tendency to step away from things if maybe it's fine but if I if I think that there's a risk um it's not worth it to me um so I will always try and tell people if I don't feel good about something and if they don't care which sometimes happens I have to say I'm sorry like I hope you guys are safe but I have I'm gonna go back to the lodge because This is, I don't feel right about this. And sometimes people listen and sometimes people take that risk. And of course, a lot of times they're fine. Um, But it's, uh, there's, it's more the human factors, which a lot of the avalanche education, educationers, they are realizing that's, that's the bigger problem. It's how to get everybody thinking like, more about what could happen if it goes bad and are you able to handle that situation and is it uh, too dangerous of an area and how much risk are you willing to take and there are always going to be some people that are willing to take more risk than than others and there's maybe not much you can do about that and it probably sounds weird coming from me because I'm sure a lot of people think that I take lots of risk too. But when mm. it comes to like avalanches and stuff, I I try to play it as safe as possible. But yeah. even then, there's I mean, the sad part about avalanches is there's no guarantee. I mean, no. even if you think if you're quite certain that it's safe, it's still can go wrong. Yeah. So it's really tough. 
that's why biking is nice in that yeah. sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> skiing no, would be great without avalanches. Yeah. But do you think people are more aware today? Uh, or do you think, like, a few people are more mm. aware? Or do you think, like, the average is more aware? I think it's starting to be that the average is more aware. I think um, probably in the maybe back in the day when there weren't that many backcountry skiers because there wasn't that much great gear. So it was maybe a little bit more like hardcore experienced people that were going out. Um, maybe then it was more the people that were going out had knowledge. I don't know. I wasn't really going out back then. Um, and then there was all this gear that came out that made it easier for everyone to get out there. And I think in the beginning then there was a lot of people including myself, like, I didn't, I came from the East Coast, we don't, there's, like, a few places there where there can be avalanches, and it's mostly groomed trails, <laughs> so yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, and it, unfortunately, took, like, me losing a friend of mine to realize, like, wow, this is not something to mess around with, um, and a lot of people have passed away, and, I think that um, because it's been also like high profile people that have passed away in these situations that more people are aware that this is happening and the educators have been really good at trying to get as much information out there as possible and the forecasting. So I think there's always going to be people that don't know quite yet um but it feels like it's getting better mm. it needs to be better yeah. than it is but it feels like it's going in the right direction so i hope it keeps like it's it can't be just like this fat this like trend to be <laughs> aware of avalanches like it's an ongoing thing and even if you have taken an education like three years ago it's like you have to kind of constantly upgrade it and practice it and it's not enough to just do one course um you have to I don't think I'll ever feel like I know everything there is to know and um that's probably the best way you can go about it is to know that there's always more you can learn and there's always some sort of surprise so trying to just be prepared for everything and I that's the sad thing that I do run into is a lot of people like or not a lot of people but some people say like oh but I I already know there is everything there is to know and it's like that's like the biggest red yeah. flag like how? how I don't even think the experts know no. like it's so unpredictable and yeah yeah so it's going in the right direction I think yeah. but it can be better yeah so why do you keep on skiing then <laughs> With all of these risks, what's the thing that makes you keep but want to do it? Um, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations with friends that are, you know, quite like that are also professional athletes, and some some incidents hit them harder than others, and it does make you question, like, oh, maybe I want to get away from this sport. But yeah. I think we. I wouldn't necessarily want anybody, like, if something happens to me, I wouldn't want anybody to quit because of it, mm. but I would want 
people to just know that it's not like it's better to turn back than to push something like that it's better to make it to the next day and I mean you could get hit by a car crossing the road like you can't just live your life and not avoid things where bad could happen because then you would never leave the house yeah. And in that case, then you would have other issues that yes. would become a problem <laughs> if you never leave the house. So, of course, getting, trying to, like, minimize the risk and to educate myself. And, I mean, I I think that's the way. Like, I just try and educate myself more, make sure my friends around me are educated, taking first aid courses and stuff like that. So, if something does happen... We all know how to handle the situation. Um, That's more what I take from that. And also just knowing when, if something's not feeling right or something's not right, to just stop and turn around and, like, take the safe way back. Um, Just trying to make smart decisions. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, the friends that have lost, like, they don't want anyone to quit, probably, but they want us to just be smarter and to, to think. And it's not to say that they weren't smart, too, because sometimes it just happens. Yeah. But that's life. So So do you think it's important to sort of, I don't know, be a role model and stuff? Yeah, I think so. I I never... it, It was kind of like a hard thing for me, because when I was growing up, I did not care if I was the only girl in something. Yeah. Um, that was not really much of a hurdle for me. Um... I always just wanted to go with whoever was the best and try and follow them so I could be as good or better than them. So it didn't matter if they were male, excuse me, male or female. That was just like, oh, you're good. I'm going to hang out with you. (laughs) Um, But now I think as I get a little bit older, I get a little bit sad when I don't see as many girls out doing sports. So, you know, there are, there are definitely girls like in the bike park and stuff like that, but there should be more and especially like younger girls I think that's um trying to find a way to inspire like in biking at least like younger girls to get out there and so I don't just see you know 20 little boys and one girl like I want to see half and half or or just yeah it doesn't have to be half and half but I just want to see more um and it took me some time to kind of understand maybe what other girls are thinking and what they need to have them to be motivated to try sports and stuff like that. Um, cause I, I mean, my dad, he was the one introducing me and stuff like that. So I was very fortunate to have, um, somebody to look up to right in the family. My mom never played sports. <laughs> she, oh, really? yeah, <laughs> she like kind of started it when, yeah, when she met my dad and, yeah. Um, she's, she has interest in it, but she's always like, you guys are the athletes. I'm not an athlete. Like, yeah. so she, you know, but that's fine. I mean, you don't have to be competitive. Like no. she likes going dog sledding and stuff like that. I think just getting more women in the outdoors in general, um, yeah. I think is yeah really important. And, um, of course there are a lot out there. Just fun to see more and, yeah. um, 
I think being a yeah being a good role model is also really important like it's always like a sensitive topic the whole like women in sports and how we are portrayed and um that's been something that's been really important to me that I'm very aware of how I portray myself in social media and you know like on Instagram I, I, I won't really have a bathing suit shot unless I happen to be swimming which doesn't happen that often but like it have to have to make sense like it's for me it's more about like showing the sports that I'm doing and the action and I I don't want people following me because of like how I look or something like that I want people to be interested in what I do because of what I do as an athlete yeah um which there are a ton of women that are out there that are thinking the same way and really being great role models for women and young girls. And I think it's really important that we focus on like what's important and that's like getting out there and doing these things that we love for all the right reasons. Um, and sometimes that message I think gets a little bit lost. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's a <laughs> there could probably a lot of us could probably talk for hours and hours and hours on that yeah. topic but um I'm really happy a lot of my friends are like re- I think really great role models too for yeah. women and trying to promote so, sports yeah. so what do you put like in a good like in a great role model mm. besides maybe showing off their sports and yeah. social media what else do you think a good role model is I think also being supportive. Um, so it's hard sometimes in women's sports, like especially as a professional athlete, there's not that many spots for other girls mm-hmm. to come up. But we have to be supportive. And, and I totally have been guilty sometimes of being like a little bit worried, like, oh, no, I, you know, you want to be happy for this person's success. But yeah. does that mean that I'm going to get yeah. kicked out? And so trying to like keep that in check and being you know promoting what your friends are doing and being happy for what everyone is doing and that will only bring us further in sports too if we're all working together and pushing each other like some of my best friendships they're girls that are amazing at what they do and it's fun to do sports with them because they make me better too yeah um so having you know those relationships where you want to see more people doing the sports um you're yeah presenting yourself in a good way and you're kind of giving back like I think a lot of women are actually really good at like giving back to the communities like having stuff like inspire us and the women's avalanche clinics we always kind of joke like there are some guys doing it but you don't really see it as much um maybe because it's not as important maybe it's not needed but Mm -hmm. I think it's good that women have seen like okay let's promote these sports let's promote these activities let's get more people to do it let's give back let's take the position that I have as a like professional athlete or uh, you don't even have to be a professional athlete but take the position I have as a positive role model and and get other people to see why this is so great and I think that's really um yeah really important and just worrying about what's yeah the important things not not how many instagram (laughs) followers and 
social media, but just getting people to get out and do stuff and live happy, healthy, active lifestyles, I think is yeah, important. That was the first part, and you got to know Jackie and learn why she loves to ski and all of our projects. And now over to the second part, where we talk about her depression. So, because last time mm-hmm. we talked a lot about the journey from, like, you know, not having the right skis, getting the wild cards, yeah. getting into the tour and doing eight seasons, all of that. Yeah. But besides all of the dream life, I guess it's also been having, like, you're for your personally you've been struggling with depression mm-hmm. and would you like to share a bit about that yeah um so i guess there's like some gaps to the yeah. timeline <laughs> to fill in and i think it's always kind of a a little bit it's not uh, how do i where do i start i kind of found my way into being a professional skier while struggling with depression I wasn't really a professional skier while I was struggling I was more like in the beginnings and kind of was lost for a big chunk of time because things didn't work out with mogul skiing like that whole dream was just like smashed and uh, I had a lot of years where I was like oh what do I want to do do I want to go to school. Do I want to be a mountaineer was one thing that I thought about and was going to move back east and not ski and for whatever reason just hike up mountains and just a lot of questions about what I wanted to do while having this kind of, I guess, like crippling depression for some time. And yeah, it was... I know some people are saying, oh, you had it while you were, you know, struggled with depression while you were professional, but it's kind of the other way around. Like I struggled with it and then I found this other part of skiing that helped me kind of get out of it. And of course, there's always a little bit like it's never perfect and I have down days and up days, which I think everybody has, but, you know, not everybody talks about it. Can you feel that you've always had a little bit of it? I think I always, not, yeah, like there was definitely a moment where it was worse, but I wouldn't say I was always like this super happy child. I mean, life was not bad growing up. It was good. We had normal issues like everybody else does. You know, I even was picked on when I was like a little kid in in elementary school and stuff like that. But I don't remember it necessarily being scarring or anything. It's just like, yeah, you had some bad days and you had some good days. But I think that's kind of what most people go through. So it was never extreme depression when I was younger. And what kind of happened was I went to India on this like 40-day mountaineering trip, um, kind of like an instructional course. It was a Knowles course. And... When I was there, was we started with 15 people, and I think only 10 of us ended up finishing the course. We had, uh, it was pretty, I was pretty crazy. I remember I was training so hard. I, my dad had this like 45-pound weighted vest that he get, bought me so I could train and, you know, focusing really like, okay, I'm going to be in shape for this. It's going to be heavy. And 
the first thing that happens when I get there, there's this guy who was from India and he was like a guide in training. And he's like, oh, so do you think you're going to be able to handle this? And then, of course, he didn't and he got sent home. <laughs> but, you know, you, that's like the first thing is like, what do I look like? I can't do this. Do I look weak? You know, we had, yeah, the guy got sent home. There was another guy who was super nice, but he, you know, 10 days into the course because it had been raining, like it started raining the second we got off the, we had a two and a half day, like bus Jeep ride to the trailhead. And then it just started pouring and it pretty much poured for like a week straight with the little breaks in between. So that was like a hard beginning to the trip, but I kind of remembered you know, like all this stuff like was happening and it was crazy and it was my first like really big kind of abroad trip overseas, like in a, you know, I've been to Italy before, but this was India and super culture shock and, you know, not having any communication with my family for 40 days and my, I had a boyfriend at the time and I was just like, nope, okay, I'm not going to email like, you know, we only had a few opportunities in the beginning and the end. I'm like, I'll just like be here. And, but it was not an easy trip. And I think when I came back to the US, I had like just kind of a hard time adjusting because you see all these people that have barely anything. And a lot of them were still pretty happy, at least in the mountains. But then you come back and it's like all these like stores and restaurants and consumerism and, it was kind of nice to be out of that for such a long time. But like my head was just in this weird place about like from not, yeah, I guess it's like culture shock or whatever they say when you re-enter back to your home. Um, And my boyfriend at the time had apparently found somebody else while I was gone. And I didn't like handle everything so well. And I just kind of like had like this lapse in judgment. It would just like was so fast and I don't know really what happened, but that was like the first. It was like all of a sudden I just felt like, oh, I can't handle any of this between like coming back and not, you know, having these plans that I was going to move out west and hang out with my boyfriend. And then I came back and he's got a new girlfriend. And <laughs> I was like, what am I doing with my life? I like so had no idea and panicked and that's why the first time I ended up in the hospital I think the doctors were not so concerned because they were more like this is like a situational thing you just like kind of had like a nervous breakdown or something and you couldn't really yeah cope with what was happening so I did something stupid and overdosed on yeah anti-malaria pills because that had happened to one of the guys on the trip. And I kind of knew, like, well, he survived. But it was, like, I guess, like, a call for help. But I didn't really... But after it happened, I kind of just wanted to forget that it happened. And I was like, no, I don't need help. I'm okay. I don't need to take drugs. I don't need to... But then that's when it really got bad. It was just, like, the stigma and everything. And you're worried about what other people are thinking... Um, I remember even being in the hospital and like the nurses were awful. Like they were super, I don't remember much. I don't remember if my stomach was pumped or anything. I haven't really cared to ask. 
I'm sure my mom would know, but um, I just remember the nurses kind of being like, oh, like another one of this, like like it wasn't worth their time, which I feel like that's kind of <laughs> the so, last thing you should be doing when you like, yeah, like I thought if you become a nurse, you want to help people and you should understand that mental illness is, yeah, it's it's an illness and and yeah, but not those nurses. Maybe there was one that was good there, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. But so that, like, that whole experience was kind of what made everything worse. Like, I thought I could handle it on my own and then not being able to talk about something that was so, like, you know, you don't do that. You're not supposed to uh, try to kill yourself you're not supposed to do these things like people don't want to hear about it and I mean even for like my mom she was great but I'm sure she doesn't didn't know what to do and my dad he had best intentions but he didn't he really doesn't know what to do I think even to this day I'm not sure that I can like contribute or that I can say that he (laughs) helped I love my dad but I don't, he's just like, oh, everything is okay. Um, but after that, when things really got bad, and it was bad for like almost five years, where I thought it was okay, and I would try and deal with it. And I think only some of my close friends knew, especially when it was really bad. But a lot of people, like when I came forward to Megan Nicholson, who wrote, the article in powder when I came forward to her and I was like I've been thinking for some years and I think like okay when I'm in a good position I think this is maybe a story that's important to tell um and I felt like okay I'm I can do this um but when I told her like hey I have um do you want to do a story on you know like mental health or I can't remember if I said about depression or something like that and she's like, yeah, but, like, what What do you, you? what do you mean? Mm. <laughs> she didn't really understand, you know, maybe she thought that, like, oh, you know, I have bad days or something like that. And then my next email, like, I kind of told her, like, everything. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, um, sh- yes, <laughs> we can do that. But, yeah, it was kind of comforting to me to know that she didn't know because I felt like, everybody knew I felt like everybody knew and was judging me and um it was really hard to have like some relationships because you just not probably on their side but on my side because I was just always afraid of what people were thinking and um that you know everyone is talking behind my like maybe a bit paranoid like oh everyone's talking about what I did and yeah so that made five years quite hard yeah yeah what are you thinking that they were saying what was the shame about um just like like I don't know you just hear that it's so like such a bad thing like you should like you shouldn't do that and it's not that people necessarily you don't feel like people feel bad for you you more feel like people are like disappointed or there's just like such a negative stigma attached to it all um and so like they're judging you like oh you're the crazy person or yeah you feel like you're crazy 
or I felt like I was crazy um, and that everybody around me thought that I was crazy and that no matter what I did, I was never going to be able to get away from that is basically like how it felt. Like I did this, I made this mistake and I'll never be able to like outlive it. It's kind of how. And so then it felt like it didn't really matter what I did. Like to a point when you almost wish like bad, of course, but you know, there were moments where I was like, wow, I kind of wish that I didn't just attempt that I like that it worked which is really awful um, to think, but uh, I didn't have anyone that I felt like I could talk to just that was saying like, no, yeah, this happened and it's okay and other people are struggling with it and this isn't going to define you for the rest of your life because at the time I felt like it was and it nothing I did after that was really going to matter. Um, so that was hard (laughs) yeah yeah how did you find your way back what did help you in the end um I mean there were like almost four or five years where I tried to do it on my own kind of like half-assed everything like would go to a doctor only when I felt like I really had to like after the first incident just a few times And it was really good, I think, at like telling them what they wanted to hear to make them think like, yeah, you're you're fine. You just this one thing that just happened, this one's like situational <clears throat> episode. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, I like tried. I guess I never really dealt with it properly the first time, so it lingered on and on and on. And then there was the second episode where I was on this trip and it should have been such a great trip because we were riding our bikes from Seattle to San Diego. I haven't talked to any of these guys. I have no idea if they how obvious it was. I felt like it was super obvious. I think they kind of knew that I wasn't like that happy because my boyfriend and I at the time, it seems like the general theme, we were broken up um it's like that's like the spark like that like oh you're uh, you're not wanted or something like that for me which also felt like really silly because it's like oh yeah of course I'm a girl and I'm crying over this boyfriend but I mean it was it was more just like the straw I guess that broke the camel's back or they say it was like that the the last this little thing that kind of pushed everything and pushed like how I was really feeling Um, so I was waking up every single day feeling like knowing I should be happy and knowing that I was doing this great thing. I mean, I was sort of starting to become a professional skier, but, you know, still having to work a bunch of jobs in the summer and like wasn't living off skiing at the time, but I was starting to find this thing. But I was waking, I woke up like for, I don't know, almost a month straight feeling like I don't want to be here. Like I don't know how to get out of this funk. And then my mom ended up telling me that she got sick and uh, my sister, who I love, um, we just, yeah, she she's hard sometimes. <laughs> 
be the best way to put it. Um, so like all these things were happening and I just yeah, broke again. Um, but it was, I knew now that it was definitely more of a call for help because I told my parents instantly and they took me to the hospital. And when I was at the hospital, I was like, okay, I need to get help. Like I can't, you know, just be released and go to the doctor and them say like, oh, everything is oh, it's just this another situational, like, you don't have a problem. So I actually said, like, okay, you can admit me to the, I guess, like, the mental hospital or whatever mental health wing <clears throat> to try and get help. Um, I kind of feel like maybe that was a mistake because that place was awful. Like, you're locked on this floor and you can't get out. And uh, they basically, they keep you there until they determine that you're okay to be released. You can't just say, okay, I want to go home now. Like, they, and we had to kind of, it was right around Thanksgiving. And, yeah, my mom was sick and we had to, they were going to keep me there over Thanksgiving, which is like, a big family holiday in the U.S. and you want to be home and you don't want to be sitting locked on this floor in some hospital somewhere with a bunch of people you don't know. You know, you had, like, the old guy walking down the hall who was, like, schizophrenic, I think, because he was, like, shouting and stuff in the middle of the night and we couldn't shut our door because, yeah, they need to be always looking into our room. Like, I was out of, like, some movie or something. My mom had to like kind of put on the scene like, no, we have to let my daughter out and this is maybe the last Thanksgiving that I'm going to have like just because we realized that this wasn't working and this doctor was, the doctors there were not helping me. They were like almost wanting to take away skiing like, oh, how are you doing that? How are you paying the bills and your taxes? And I was like, but th that's not the problem right now. Like, so I realized, okay, these people are not going to help me. But then I got out. We, yeah, we managed to get out. And I was like, okay, I need help. I need to go to the doctor. I need to probably be on the medication. If this doctor's not working, I need to go to another doctor. I need to find somebody that's going to help, even if that means, I mean, first we started with the free doctor because it's U.S. and everything is expensive. Um, and the free, yeah, free psychologist or whatever, I think she, or I don't remember if it was a psychologist or a counselor. And she was nice, but, and she was starting to help a little bit, but it wasn't quite, like, that was the thing, like, finding the right person, I think, is really important. And so I found, I ended up finding another person that I had to, I had to pay for, I don't know, it was like a hundred bucks or something, a session, which for me at that time, or well, it's, I mean, still expensive. Um, but this person understood my lifestyle and more of what made me happy. And I felt like I was comfortable with this person and I could talk. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, basically acknowledging that I needed help and that it was okay and making the effort to kind of find the right people and knowing that, you know, it might not right off the bat find the right person. Trying to also, like, change my, like, 
instead of telling myself like, oh, I don't want to be here anymore, just telling myself like, okay, I want to get better. I need to learn how to get better. Um, I want to be somebody that people are like happy around and I'm not always just kind of moping around. I didn't like, I had one friend that said, oh, you're such a bummer to hang around. And I think he was probably joking, but it kind of, he's not the most sensitive person, <laughs> but it kind of, it, in a way it helped me. It kind of was like, oh, that's not fun. I don't want to be this like person that's kind of a bummer to hang around. I mean, I'm never going to be necessarily the life of the party because that's not me, but I want to get into a better place. So I just, whatever I was trying to do before, it's not working and I need to make more of an effort. And I mean, that's the hardest thing. Like you have to help yourself. Like you can have so many great people around you, but if you don't want to get better, then you're probably not going to get better. So just like trying to make that change and thinking and understand that it's not going to happen overnight. And I mean, I still have times where, you know, I'll tell Rain like, oh, I just, yeah, been feeling kind of down the past week and it's never getting as bad as it was, not even close, but yeah, you can tell like if I'm not motivated to go outside, like that might mean that I'm just like in this like funk. Um, and yeah. Uh, but then does it feel okay to ha- live with the fact that maybe this is a part of you that you will have to like deal with the rest of your life maybe in bigger or smaller ways? Yeah, it's okay. Of course, it would be nice if you could just like snap your fingers and it was gone. And But I think now that I'm like, I guess, strong enough or know enough now to say like to tell somebody like okay I need help like or can you watch me and make sure that you know if I'm getting really bad maybe we should find somebody that I should talk to or something and that's actually something that some of my friends have suggested like maybe now that I'm here in Sweden I should find somebody to that I can even call that's not a friend or family because it's sometimes it's a lot for friends and family and they have their own stuff and they might not always know like how best to deal with something and you don't always want to put it on your friends and your family so it probably would be a good thing if I found somebody here that I knew like I could talk to every now and then even if something even if nothing was wrong but just so I can kind of stay on top of things I think yeah there is a little part of me that's kind of like scared like oh I hope it never gets that bad again and I hope that I've learned enough to kind of learn how to cope with it and to know that like it can get better but I don't know if that fear will ever like completely disappear but it's not so bad it's like yeah it's just kind of there in the back of your mind yeah with a lot of other things that I think most (laughs) people have yeah I think it's just not a not an easy topic still but I don't know maybe it'll Maybe it'll change because it feels like there's more, like, everyone feels like it's just you that's dealing with it. And it seems more and more like everyone at some point has either personally or had family member or if they haven't, they will. Or, like, everyone's kind of dealt with it at some point. And I think it would be a lot better if everyone just 
got better about talking about it instead of trying to like hide these feelings and feel bad about feeling bad because it feels like yeah that's what we do we're like oh we shouldn't feel like this life is supposed to be good and unless you've had you know some really crazy things I mean there's other people in the world that are you know they're you look at how their lives like especially nowadays with what's going on in the world and you're like yeah well I can understand why you would be depressed but that's not really what it's about like it's you don't have to have really anything bad going on in your life it's just sometimes for whatever reason it's just a small thing or it's just a chemical imbalance for some people and their life can seem perfect but it's yeah, not necessarily I thought that was interesting when Powder Magazine when they put it online that was the only thing I was afraid of when the story went online because when it was in the magazine like nobody's going to really comment or anything like that but on when it went online you get oh, people that are commenting you know like trolls or whatever and there were four, a few people that they obviously hadn't read because they're like, oh, well, it's just drugs and alcohol or it's easy, just don't do drugs or there's people starving in the world and it's totally, that's not the point. I mean, even if I was having a problem with drugs or alcohol, that doesn't, it doesn't mean that my issues are any less than somebody who is starving because obviously there's something wrong and you need to like that person that's struggling with drugs or alcohol needs help and there's probably something that they're struggling with in their life that's like resulting in them turning to to this for me it was more yeah I like wouldn't get hungry like I just didn't have an appetite if I was super depressed um and I think it's hard when people feel like oh well there's worse things going on in the world and then it makes like oh, you feel guilty like oh I shouldn't feel bad because other people have it harder and while that might be true it doesn't doesn't really change like how you are feeling at that time like you can't it it doesn't matter how much money you have or even if everything in your life is going just as planned like there can still be this imbalance or something wires mixed up or whatever that's causing you to feel this way um and yeah how did it feel like once the magazine was out and people read it and maybe talked about it and how did you feel um I think it was it was good I'm happy I did it um because I had a lot of people reach out to me from people I know or never met before in my life that that thanked me and I mean it's not really about like people thanking me or something like that but just it seems like people need more people to get out there and talk about it Um, because here I'm thinking I am alone and it's just me or you know the small group of people but then some of the people that were coming forward, I would have had no idea either that they would have these issues. So it was really helpful to me for people to come forward to know like, okay, you're, I'm not alone and they know they're not alone. And 
even though things might seem perfect or not perfect, like everyone's kind of dealing with these, um, dealing with depression in one way. So I'm happy I did it. And especially that like some good can come out of a really shitty situation. And that was kind of my goal. Like even though things are not 100% perfect right now, I want people to know that you can like get better even when it feels like it's like no there's no coming out of anything you know there's no coming digging yourself out of that hole like I think it's important for people to know like even though it feels like that it it is possible even though it takes time and doesn't happen overnight it's I think the only time when it's hard is when it's in person and people are talking to me about it and it's like, yeah, you want to, maybe if it was more like private one-on-one because I've had a few people at like movie premieres come up to me, which is super nice and, um, but I don't know how to react and like, oh, thanks. <laughs> um, just because, yeah, that's probably not the best place to come out and yeah, I'm really happy that we have for the most part like a a good community and that everyone is supportive and understands that yeah these things are are an issue and yeah I don't know if it's good to say that it's good to know that you're not alone because of course you don't want to feel like everybody else is dealing with this crap that you've had to deal with but maybe if everyone knows that we're not alone it gets easier for people to deal with it because of course you don't want to wish that upon anyone but Yeah, I think if people know, like, this is just what happens, um, and it's okay to talk about it, but, yeah. So, what would you say to, like, the people that otherwise, maybe a person told them that they're dealing with depression, mm-hmm. or maybe you're suspecting, you can see that they're not feeling all right? Yeah. What would you suggest that someone can do for them? Um, I think trying to... I don't know, trying to be as supportive and, like, be there to listen to them and maybe try and figure out what's a good solution and and letting them know, like, you can call me whenever, you know, if you're having bad thoughts, like, call me or, you know, call one of the help, like, the suicide prevention hotlines if it's that bad. I saw somewhere that you can even text because lots of people don't like to talk on the phone but now you can text a a number at least in the U.S. where somebody will text you back instantly so you can communicate that way Um, so maybe like finding whatever resources are in your area for that can help that person if it's you know driving them to the doctor just kind of making the steps that ultimately they have to kind of do on their own but just making them a little bit easier so you provide all the resources for them so that you know they don't have to go and research themselves while they're struggling because I think that's kind of kind of hard so yeah I don't know I don't know how I'm always like tough love kind of helped me a little bit but of course it's all like different with every person and it has to be the right timing and yeah but I think finding the resources or if you have somebody that is struggling maybe even yourself going and talking to somebody 
that can maybe give you like a professional that can give you advice on how to how you can better help this person because yeah I wouldn't say I'm necessarily an expert in that but I think if you have those things kind of there and easily accessible for that person it's going to make them more more likely to go get help what do you think we can do to sort of get rid of the stigma about it why why do you think there is a stigma i don't know i mean i guess people don't understand it and it's not it's hard to talk about things that are hard and i think that's with a lot of things in society that people are trying to get better at that and it's really hard to like help people when they're in that problem and sometimes it's easier to just kind of ignore them because it requires a lot of energy if you have a friend or if you yourself are struggling like it's not it's not easy for the people that are around the person that's dealing with the issue either and I don't know I guess for some people it's like religious it things and suicide being really bad and which of course it is not a good thing um but I don't know I guess just lack of understanding I don't fully understand why people don't talk because if you talked about it then you would prevent people from getting to the point where they would even want to think about committing suicide or at least probably most people it would stop them from ever getting to that point maybe i don't know no. do you La- remember what stopped you um i feel like i i feel like i thought i was like kind of asking for help but maybe i wasn't doing it the right way or because i was a little bit ashamed maybe i wasn't being as upfront like but like saying hey i need help can you help me i never really said anything like that maybe i kind of said it to my mom but i never full followed through that well or actually i probably didn't say it until it got until the second time i think that was the first time that i was like ah i need help i just wanted to kind of forget about it and think that it never ever happened and to try and distance myself as much because i felt like it defined me and i hated that so i i don't know it's really hard to tell somebody like hey i feel really bad right now to the point where i have thoughts of wanting to kill myself like that's not something that you can say to people because they don't really either they don't take you seriously or they don't really understand what to do with that information. So I don't know, maybe there should be like some sort of protocol or something like that. I mean, nowadays I think it's only getting worse with people because of all the shit going on with like social media and young kids. Like I can't imagine growing up and being 15 and having Instagram and yeah all that like you know you make one mistake and then it's on the internet forever and having some sort of system put in place I guess for everyone um 
and just having it more out there. Um, I don't know. I should look into it some more. <laughs> I'm wondering myself, like, what I could do to, to help more. I need to find my after skiing career. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe this will be somewhat related to it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good question. And I'm sure there's some people out there that have a good thing. But you were saying about social media. Mm. What do you, what can you see being a problem with social media today and mental health and all that? Um, I think now it's like there's so much value or like worth. Like everyone has an Instagram account nowadays, and even if you're not a professional athlete or a public figure or whatever, which for us, I mean, we have to the more followers we have the maybe better contracts we get or more exposure and stuff like that but I think even for the average person like probably checking like oh if somebody's liking your photo and how many people are following you and just this kind of really weird way of like I I understand for sponsors and stuff but why do we really have to have numbers and like how many friends on Facebook you have and how many like why does that like if you want to share stuff that you do with your friends I totally get it but I feel like and I'm totally guilty myself like but we put so much focus on the numbers um so you hear a lot that you know that's hard for some people and then of course if something bad happens like now with the internet and I think people have an easier time giving like bullying over the internet because you see it with people making comments like even if their actual picture is attached to their profile for whatever reason people are braver and they're not thinking so much so it's so easy for somebody to say like oh well that is shit or like to make fun of somebody as opposed to doing it to their face and then of that's hurting the people that are in the receiving end and yeah I think it's it seems like you know you hear a lot that younger kids are having issues and being cyber bullied and stuff like that and such a I mean bullying has been around for ever I'm sure but it just feels like it's getting worse instead of getting better because it's easier I don't know if I have kids it's like terrifying to think like having them having to grow up with that side of technology and of course it's great in so many ways but that's a little bit I don't think I would have handled it very well when I was in high school or something like that I couldn't just imagine like you do something stupid or you post a picture that you you know didn't really think about and then 10 years later you're like oh god why would I have posted that is things like your what you did in the past stays with you so much longer now than like nobody remembers what I looked like when I was in high school and that is okay (laughs) but I think it's a hard hard world these days to grow up in now if you're a kid have you now on your social medias have you sort of decided how you want to play it sort of to inspire for I don't know some better ways for the social media yeah (laughs) I know what you're trying to say (laughs) yeah Yeah. um I mean I think that I 
uh, especially as a female athlete, you kind of have like this battle, like, all right, I know if I pose in a bikini, I will probably get a lot more followers and likes, but that's not what, that's not really me. And unless it's like, unless I actually happen to be surfing or something, unless it actually makes sense, but I'm not going to go and just, you know, stand by the beach today, or definitely not today, but, you know, like stand by the river and, or on the lawn and pose in my new bikini because I'm not a bikini model. Um, and that's just not something I would do. So, um, I've made like a pretty conscious effort, like decision to keep my Instagram or my social media with like a fairly consistent message, um, even knowing that that might mean that it's not going to grow as fast as some others because it's maybe it's not like sexy enough or <laughs> controversial or whatever. But, you know, mine is more about like being in the outdoors and doing sports and trying to yeah have like a oh, that is kind of me that's what I do and I'm not wearing tons of makeup and doing my hair all the time and if I do post a selfie usually I'm making some stupid face <laughs> which uh, because it's so hard to take a selfie and not feel like an idiot I think <laughs> but um yeah, to kind of be true to what's going on in my life and to be a positive role model because I think that's that's important. That's kind of been my goal. And there's I know I have, like, a, some friends in the ski industry, especially, like, females that are also really good about doing that too. They're, like, sending positive messages and it's not, you know, about how they look it's more about what they do and I think that's most important um especially if you're an athlete like we're not models <laughs> we're supposed to be doing sports and going out in the outdoors uh, yeah so that's kind of been my my goal are you okay with being a role model both maybe as an athlete but also maybe now when you're talking about mental illness Mental health. Yeah, yeah. Which is the, um, yeah. I think so. It's okay, <laughs> and I just hope that I don't do anything stupid. <laughs> but um, does it feel weird, maybe, being a role model? Yeah, I guess so. Like I still don't always see myself. I mean, a lot of my friends there, um, especially like the Americans there, these you know, have a ridiculous amount of followers and stuff like that. So I, I always feel kind of like I'm in their shadows and even regardless of like if the skiing is the same or whatever, I just feel like, um, so it's weird sometimes to think that you might be, yeah, someone's role model or um, that you might have a fan or something like that. It's still, I don't really feel like somebody would that would be that way <laughs> but but I mean with the role model I think maybe that's not so different because anybody can be a role model you don't have to 
be like a public figure or something just hopefully if you are a role model for whomever you're setting a good example so that one's not so bad I just hope that I set a good example most of the time at least (laughs) (laughs) is there anything else you would like to say on the topic with mental health I don't know I think that's most of it um I guess most important for everyone like just knowing that you're not alone and if you are somebody that's struggling like go and find either a friend or a family member that can at least help you get to professional help or somebody to talk to to help you get to the next steps to not be ashamed to ask for help like it'll only be better in the long run the sooner you can instead of trying to kind of fight it on yourself like fight it by yourself because it's really hard I think it's a hard battle to win on your own and then if you are a friend or a family member or somebody that's struggling to provide them with whatever resources they might need to to get to that point where they can start helping themselves because I think ultimately if you are the one suffering you kind of have to make that decision that you want to get better and then it'll be a long road but once you decide okay I don't want to feel like this anymore I want to get better that's like the first step and then just trying to figure out what works for you because I think it's different for every going to be different for every individual yeah and that we're not alone (laughs) there's so many people that struggle with it and that's okay I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong. They're, you're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just it happens sometimes and you have down times in life. Um, maybe some people are better than dealing with it than others and some of us need help and that's okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I think it's really important and I also think that you are a role model and inspiration. So mm, Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Excited for winter. <laughs> Thank you for listening and I also hope that you can find some inspiration from what Jackie just talked about and if you feel like you're having a depression or just feel that you feel low and you don't have anyone to talk to, reach out to someone or to the healthcare because yeah, it's important to talk about it and so that you're not alone in it all. And I once again want to say thank you, Jackie, for having these conversations and sharing your story. I think it's very important. And that was it for this episode. Have a good one.